Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Hey, uh, right off the right up top, right off the bat, the you know on the couple on an episode ago or two or no an episode ago, um. We launched the, what's that called, Seth? Brandon Butler's Cabin Burned Down by Poacher GoFundMe. That's a hell of a name. The GoFundMe site is called Brandon Butler's Cabin Burned Down by Poacher. Yep. And we gave everybody a heads up about this GoFundMe that was put together for our friend Brandon Butler, who uh, whose cabin was burnt down uh, in mysterious temporal proximity. How do you like that sentence? In mysterious temporal proximity to him having reported a local poacher who he eyewitnessed uh, trying to jacklight deer night before deer season opened. So Butler's buddy puts up this GoFundMe site and um, you, uh, you kind, generous folks out there have been kicking in heavy duty and the thing's up to... Nineteen thousand seven hundred and sixty-eight dollars. Yeah, four hundred and twenty-three donors. Now Butler pointed out that he had his place insured, but you know he had all of his heirlooms and stuff in there, and he also had a lot of stuff that he uses to like host people and do river trips and uh, was that good dude that tries to do good stuff at his place. There's been like a major development in this deal, so we wanted to have him come back on, not just to talk about the money. And he didn't set this thing up; his buddy set it up. Did I clarify that? Yeah, his buddy set it up. 
But he's going to share this kind of interesting development around this case of his place getting pretty much smoked down to the ground. Uh, Brandon Butler, real quick, man. Glad glad you could uh, join up with us real quick here. We'll, we'll probably have to check in with you multiple times as this whole uh, deal plays out with your place getting burnt down. But uh, give us as much as you can give us right now about like the latest. Yeah, it was hard not to tell you guys everything I knew last time. And all your listeners and, and the readers of Patrick Durkin's article, uh, the outpouring of care and support has been overwhelming. So first of all, thank you guys so much for the uh, opportunity to share the story. Uh, I also want to clear up real quick, you know, in the article that I did with Patrick, I had a number of people uh, reach out and say, it sounds like he classified the whole area as guilty. And of course, that <laughs> wasn't my intentions. I mean, you guys have been down there. Uh, anybody that's followed my work knows how much I poured in to try and support that area. And I have lifelong friends that I've made down there. And I love that area. And they're absolute salt of the earth people. Uh, what I was talking about was a, a very local subculture. So when I was talking about the culture, I was talking specifically to my little neck of the woods. So to everybody in Southeast Missouri, Shannon County, Missouri, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stand up against the people that have, you know, held everybody down, held all the good people back. So it wasn't a, a blanket statement. So with that out of the way, I had game cameras up. Uh, multiple game cameras. And I even set kind of a dummy camera out where I knew people would see it. The chip was missing from that camera, but the arsonist did not, did not find the two cameras I had pointing at uh, the front and the back of the house. Oh, and they pulled the chip from the dummy camera. They did. And they thought they had, they thought they had gotten away with it by pulling the chip from my trap camera. And uh, they did not find the two cameras that I had in the woods. That's so I've got fire, the suspect man. on camera walking to the house, carrying a rifle and a bottle of accelerant. And then I've got him walking away from the house, carrying just the rifle. And you can see fire coming out of the back window. So he had <laughs> broke out the back window and, and lit it from there. Um, he's in jail now. He, he showed up to his probation meeting. Uh, this guy was in prison for for meth and firearms previously he's he's got about four pages of arrest records on what we have here in missouri called case net where you can look up uh what somebody's done in their lifetime and it's going to be front page news in that local newspaper uh this week coming out um it, and it all is tied to the poaching situation now this guy's got multiple poaching violations that he's been um arrested for in the past on his case net, but he wasn't in the truck that night. It was actually three women. And man, I went all NCIS on trying to figure out who these people were and got to the shooter who was a, a girl. And I'm not going to use their names, but it was a girl from St. Louis. And then Corey's father's girlfriend. So that was the tie. Essentially, he was going to be the hero for, I guess, these women that uh, came down the road at 830 at night and, and poached. But there's, you know, two of the or all three now have have confessed and, and gave a, a sworn statement. And all three got tickets for uh, artificial light uh, after dark or after hours and 
firearms from a V or hunting from a vehicle. So they all three got three tickets and, um, that's the whole, the whole poaching story. Um, this guy is, he's on a no bond warrant right now in, in jail. And if everything goes well, he'll, he's facing four different felonies and hopefully he'll be, uh, reunited with his old chums in the state pen here real soon. What, uh, when you torch a dude's place, what is that called? Well, I'm it's arson arson. I'm really pushing and hoping that this becomes a federal case. Um, I, I literally just met with the Lieutenant governor of Missouri, Mike Kehoe two hours ago in the Capitol to talk about the situation and, and what I've learned from law enforcement down there. It's just a real hard place to be a law enforcement officer. There's so much public land. It's so remote and rural. There's, there's no cell service across most of the County, but I'm, I'm trying to make a case to the Department of Conservation and the Conservation Commission that law enforcement doesn't need to be divided out equally. So right now, in most cases in Missouri, we have two uh, conservation agents per county. I, I kind of liken it to we have more law enforcement in urban areas than we do in rural areas when it comes to city and state police. We need more law enforcement as far as conservation and conservation agents in these rural areas than we need in say St. Louis or Kansas city. So hopefully there's going to be a change made that will readdress the resources being applied to where they're most needed, which is in some of these Southeast Missouri counties. And then I've gotten a commitment from the Lieutenant governor to explore a potential uh, task force, joint task force with uh, multiple law enforcement agencies and my next step is to talk to uh, an old senator friend of mine who's now on the parole board to ensure that this guy's parole is uh, is is not, is revoked and he goes back to prison on that as well. And then I'm I'm working some channels to uh, a couple U.S. congressmen that I know well who cover those counties, and we're just making sure that this person goes away for a long time because I have. I've been reached out to in the last 24 hours by three other families that have had their house burned down within five miles of mine in the last year. No. And none of them had cameras. Unreal. And, and there's been no arrests. There's been no arrests made. So you know, oh, it would man. only be speculation, but it sounds did, pretty coincidental. Did those me. folks feel like uh, those incidences were some sort of retaliation or, or, or have, did they have any idea of a cause? One guy had a run in with uh, a known associate during muzzleloader season huh. last year, and then his cabin was torched. And it was his grandfather's cabin. It was hand built. He didn't have any insurance on it. He lost so many of his grandfather's possessions as well. Guy's name was Dwayne. Uh, man, I've met so many strangers in the last like 48 hours that have. Oh, I can out imagine, with, man. You know, stories about the same sort of things happening and other states and across different parts of Missouri, you know, and it, I told the Lieutenant governor, it's, it is painful to tell this story about a place that I came to love so intimately. And you guys saw that when you were there, you know, I was, I had you there because I wanted to show you and your fan base, like how great this area is. And it's, it's underserved in notoriety, the natural resources and the wildlife and the fish. It's, it's such a great area and, and there are good people there, but everyone down there lives under the same cloud of fear that if you, if you stand up for what's right, we're going to burn your house down. And in my case, I stood up for what's right 
and they burned my house down. So there, you know, it's, there's some reality to it. And, and it's a shame that this is going to cause other people to not go down there and it's going to hurt the economy down there. And, and it's all because of a few bad apples. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on to catch us up on it. And when, uh, when a couple more things shake out, um, like to have you back on again to 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 fill us in and then we kind of earlier we touched on what was going on on the gofundme site which is great to see so brandon butler thanks a lot man um as this you know as whatever part three <laughs> you let us know when you think it's time to come back and and fill us in on where shit stands now then then now you know what i'm talking about yeah thanks again for your guys support it's been overwhelming so thank you yeah man take care uh Okay, we got a couple. Uh, we're still reeling from the pandemic here. I, I'm now. You've had it, right, Seth? Yep. Me and Seth have had it. We're survivors. Yanni and Cal, you guys have not. At least as far as you know, haven't had it. No, no. Have any of you guys had it? Our remote guests? Nope. 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 Can you guys introduce yourselves? Duke, go ahead first because you're on the left of my screen. Buck do me first. Yeah, why not? Just inter- say what you do, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, my, my name's Duke Wastenik, uh customer service rep over here at First Light. Yeah, answer phone calls 8 hours a day, 5 days a week. So <laughs> Got a big old mule deer this year. That was nice. Yeah, if we have time, I'd like to a- <laughs> I'd like to add. I was talking to uh Josh Prestine this morning about this. That like it is quite amazing. That you can call First Light. It's just regular old Joe Hunter. You got some questions about gear. And a dude that hunts, I, I don't even, you never gave me an actual number, Duke, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out like 200 days a year for mule deer, maybe 250. That includes scouting, looking, and all that. Am I right? Am I approximately right? Yeah, but you still have a job, right? What the hell is your guys' vacation policy, man? Well, see, that's <laughs> just the thing, man. Like, that, that's is, is your guys' that. end of this business get better vacation than our end of the no, business? These, these aren't full days. Oh, okay. like Just like as in skiing, if you go out and take a couple runs, it counts as a day of skiing. So when he makes a quick jaunt, you know, three miles into the woods in the morning just to look at a deer for 15 minutes and then makes it back to work by eight, that counts. Okay, let me let me ask you. I got a couple things we got to do, Duke. <laughs> I don't want to go into too great a detail. You got a nice deer this year. We don't need to talk about where or anything. Had you ever seen that deer before you got it? Uh, yeah, quite a few times. Oh, okay. I, okay. I actually missed that thing twice, so uh, <laughs> the year before. Oh, so. I see. Knew it quite well. Now, uh, let but, me do... Hold on, real quick. I want to finish my thought. The point of it being... Oh, that wasn't the thought? That you can just, oh. like, you're going to get customer service from a dude that is just like an absolute backcountry mule deer professional expert whatever you want to call it yeah you're not just like getting just some rando that just learned the first light line recently and is going to recommend you know that you use the uh middle of the road base layer because you know it should work for all things like yeah duke's going to really dive in and, and just give you a top level service from a lot of experience give you the straight dope from a real person yeah i just i don't know i can't get over it i mean how many other companies can say that they have someone with that kind of experience and success doing customer service for them hey duke did you know this uh never mind i was going to quiz you on something that's in the news but that's not fair (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> Phil changed my screen around. Chase, Chase, now, it's not left to right anymore. Now it's like you guys are like, uh, I don't know what you call that. It's just different. Chase, go ahead. What do you do? Chase Milliman. I run operations for First Light, Mediator, FHF. All right. Um, and I think it's worth noting that from Duke's introduction that Cal thought his name was Buck for half the trip. So <laughs> let's get that out in the open. <laughs> Which if you know the monkey ranch gang, like it's, it's a great little crossover. I feel. Yeah. I'll point out these guys are on and joining us remotely. They're all down in Ketchum where, where first light is based because they're just coming back from. So Seth, Yanni, Cal, Duke, who you just met, Chase, who you're meeting. Matt, who you haven't met yet, are all just returning from the the Sonora Kuzier trip that I was unable to go on because I had been uh I was afflicted. <laughs> That's all. What else you gotta say for yourself, Chase? Not a whole lot. That's about that's about all there is to say about me on the on the work side. You got a uh you, you got like a wife, girlfriend? Uh, I do not have a wife. Girlfriend? We'll hook you up, man. Yeah, I do have a girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> I haven't hooked anybody up in a long time, man. I'm kind of itching to hook somebody up. Uh, okay, and then Matt? My name's Matt DeRosiers. I'm the That's it. DeRosiers. product line manager for DeRosiers. Something. Matt D. Uh, I answered all of them now. But uh, I manage Western Big Game product line at First Sight. All right. Uh, okay, we got to take care of a couple things. One I wanted to share with you guys, Yanni and, and Seth. Do you know that uh, you know on a past episode when we had Luke Combs and Dan Isbell on? Yep. Yes. And they were just releasing that <clears throat> tune that they played for us. Yep. I think we even had them playing that tune on Instagram or something. Uh, we, we definitely recorded yeah. it better together. Yeah. Just, I, Kylie just told me it just hit number one. Yeah, it mm-hmm. did. So I sent uh, Luke and Dan a text yesterday, like saying how, uh, congratulating them and saying how I had such proximity to that, to them, their process of writing the song that I felt a little bit like I had written it. (laughs) And Dan Isbell wrote back and said, that's in keeping with you being a hunting TV host and that you always take credit for shit you did not do. (laughs) (laughs) Which hurt, which hurt, man. I told him he's hitting a little close to home with that shit, man. Yeah, he's pretty sharp, that guy. (laughs) I think he he might, I I think maybe uh, all of our talk about, everybody likes to ask, you know, if it's so much harder um, hunting with a crew. And I would point out that we scare more, but we spot a hell of a lot more. You know, there's a lot more eyeballs <laughs> looking around. Um, so, Cal, do you know what's up with the – I wanted to tell people about this Oklahoma deal. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of like – but this is a real politician. There is a real-life politician. Like, elected to office. Who I can only imagine – is acting on behalf of a very, very niche part of his constituency. And he's introduced a a bill to get the Oklahoma Fish and Wildlife to institute a legal Bigfoot hunting season. Yeah. Now, if he's been pressured by a constituent, we hear from this constituent because... 
people don't realize Oklahoma is a real sleeper Bigfoot locale. Oh, I did not know that. You did, uh, I didn't know that either. Everybody's always thinking it's like Oregon, Washington, Michigan's Outer Peninsula, Pacific Northwest. You know, I know I'm naming like wildly different places, but but no, but they all have something in common. In thick. common, it's kind of like that northern yep. thick, some wet, wet, some, dank, yeah, Bigfoot country. Yeah. And so I'm sure the serious Bigfoot hunters are like many hunters thinking when a, a specified season opens up. It's not to protect the resource. It's going to exploit the resource even more because new regulations often draw a lot of new eyeballs, right? Oh. So I'm sure the resident Bigfoot hunters in Oklahoma are really shaking their heads that the spotlight's being put on them. Yeah, it's like a spot burn. Yeah. Oklahoma spot burn on Bigfoot hunting. The dude, the Oklahoman that wrote us a lot of nasty letters. Do you remember when we had, you remember Laura... Was it Kratz? Kratz. Kratz. She did this whole podcast on like Bigfoot people. And we had her on to talk about Bigfoot people. And it got this Oklahoma dude super fired up and wrote us a bunch of letters. And he's a Bigfoot person. And they hunt Bigfoots. And he wrote in letters about them shooting guns at things they heard off in the woods and whatnot at night. But they haven't gotten one yet. And he wants to be able to kill it so he can be like, put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's right. He wants a dead one, but I think he they, they want to not get in trouble when they get one or have anybody take it from them. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that if there is a season, then there will also be a license or a tag. That that's, you, that's part of the bill that's uh, covered in, in Section 1, in fact. Does it have a price? Uh, I believe the price would be set by Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Commission. Uh, but it, it does say a, a season and a license. Because hmm. I'm, I'm hoping it could just be like a boon to the department as in some extra revenue. But I also don't want it to promote more of what you just described. Shooting that stuff running off through the woods at night. Hominids. Shooting it sounds... In the night. Well, yeah, because what it was. He's like, the minute I saw I had two legs and was standing <laughs> upright, I started shooting. Two years ago, was it the state of Michigan? Somebody hit somebody. No, that was here. Was, oh, that was Montana. Yeah. Oh. A guy put a Bigfoot suit on yeah. and jumped out in the road to spook someone and got hit and killed. Whoa. Hopefully, yeah, the that son of a bitch driving would have thought he had like a real Harry and the Hendersons moment, man. Can you imagine, like, that poor guy? We should find that person and get him on the show. Hopefully the season is closed during Halloween. Mm-hmm. And any other hunting season. Yeah, it's the world coming to. Hmm. Um, I want to talk real quick. What's this feller's name again? Mertz? Oh, yeah. I have the, his letter right here right now. It is John Mertz. John Mertz. Oh, you found it. What? Okay. My wife sent me a picture of the letter, like oh. I asked her. Now, why do you think that the, the, the spearing decoy that John Mertz made for you is somehow superior to my spearing decoy that he made for me? Well, in my very minimal sp- dark house spearing uh, experience, yeah. I've had great luck with red and white. Mm. And mine, because of 
<clears throat> the Latvian colors, Latvian flag colors came red and white. And it just like, you know, like, did you ever catch fish on like the red devil spoon? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's that color combination. There's a, there's a very popular surf casting rattle plug surface thing that's mm. classically red and white. That's right. Red head, white body. Yep. Can't think of the name of it. but uh, I think that mine is this color. See, they were all customized. Cal, Cal, he sent Cal one that has a mustache. Mm-hmm. It's a cute little bugger. Oh, that's nice. It's like a San Juan worm mustache glued on to the front. I think mine, I didn't. I never made up if it ain't chartreuse, it ain't no use, but I think maybe I was like quoting it and he heard me say that, even though that's not my saying. I believe it's, you know, I, I, I buy it, but I didn't come up with it. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this thing this weekend. Oh, and nice. I just had Travis Barton, the the fancy fireman welder, mm-hmm. uh, who normally welds like stuff for nice houses, handrail and stuff. Mm-hmm. But but I keep telling him that's bad for his soul, and that he needs to do like weird hunting and fishing welding projects mm-hmm. to keep him like in touch with his true self. How does he feel about that? He believes me that it's true because he just oh. made us two pike spears. Chase over at first light, he's going all the way to Kamchatka to fish for steelhead and to ensure that he can go all the way across the world and have a successful trip. I'm going to paint him up some chartreuse beads to guarantee some fishing success oh, for that's, him. That's nice. Yeah. When those, I call those beads aren't, aren't making the trip, Cal. Oh, <laughs> well, Cal made you a special bead and you're not, and you're not going to bring it with you. What's the deal, Chase? You need a little. You need a little background here. There's like he he's going to catch these steelhead, right? Yeah. That only live there. It's like this. It's like the this steelhead trip of all steelhead trips to go over to far east um, Russia and fish the Kamchatka, and he is going to stick to like some purist type techniques, and would rather only catch twenty with purist techniques mm. than a hundred by fishing a plastic bead. And it's a research trip where every fish is, uh, you know, weighed, surveyed, scales taken, uh, tagged and released. Okay. Um, so it really behooves well, science if he fished a bead a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah. Like that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, if that was the case, to go and catch a whole shit pile of them. Right. I mean, you, he can sit and catch them and be selfish. You know, <laughs> but he's going to Kamchatka for research. I don't want to do the species a disservice by not fishing your beads, but there is a certain amount of recreation that's involved in this trip as well. It's, it's It smells a little bit like that. <laughs> uh, back to the, oh, when I called um, Travis Barton, what's the name of his, what does he work under? Uh, Barton Fabrication. Barton Fabrication. Dude, the spear is a like a work of art. When I called him and I said like, "Hey," uh, and asked about his familiarity with pike spears, he pointed out that he grew up in Minnesota, and when you were in metal shop, all anybody made was pike spears. Was pike spears. <laughs> That's awesome. But pike spear making has changed. Where now people use those like uh, CNC. You just cut it out of plate steel. Mm. You don't like sharpen up barbs and weld the whole thing together it's like a freaking handle 
And then you get a piece of like 10 inch by 16 inch plate steel and cut the hole. Is that how he did it? Oh. Yeah, he has the CNC machine, yeah, right? Dude, yeah. it's like a gorgeous, gorgeous. Did you give him like specs to work off of or did he find them on the internet? Or I sent him a design... photo of my buddy's spear that he likes a lot and I sent him the sort of recipe. But when I'd done that, he had already been online researching it. And then didn't use the didn't use the design I sent him. He used the design that was very similar, but uh, and he even put like a little decorative twist and what? Oh, it's like it's a freaking gorgeous spirit. You know that guy? He likes to run the hashtag built not bought. No, Travis does. Yeah, I know that. So in like it, without trying to be, he's very much like at the forefront of a. Uh, like a movement in, in across our country and maybe the rest of the world with, with, with like a very green movement to like limit, you know, big manufacturing, you hmm. know, people just like making stuff at home with what they have. Um, he stuff like, that he, lasts. He, he embodies that without actually, he's certainly not, doesn't think of himself as at, at the forefront of some green movement, you know? Uh, no, I didn't know built, not bought. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. It is. It Ties is. in well with what's going on on Yanni's side of the street, where his brand new appliances are oh. crap in the bed. Yeah. It's, I, don't, I, I don't think it's... You don't want to get you don't <laughs> No, I can in? tell you. I'll happily tell you. Well, tell the you. guy that what? came to fix my Samsung range said, ah, the one company I would have told you not to buy from is Samsung. I'm like, ah, okay. Really? You got some dud appliances from Samsung? Just one. Um, but uh, he, he, in general, he was just telling me that from what he sees, there's very much a planned... Um, what's the word? Engineered obsolescence. Obsolescence, Yeah. And um, he's just like, if I re- if you don't have it, he's like, I recommend right now you go online and get yourself an extended warranty because like, you know how every appliance now has like a digital display of some sort, and mm-hmm. he's like, on an oven, it is literally right above the part where the heat is escaping the most. Well, guess so what? So it gets cooked all the yeah, time. Yeah, it gets cooked. He's like, so these I replace these boards all the time, two to three years into the appliance, and it doesn't matter if you spent. Uh, eight hundred dollars on your range or five thousand, that thing is going. So that's the appliance you had that's bad, and you bought it's a, a brand spickety new. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that wasn't what went bad on us. For us, it was the uh, base the um, the 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 element that heats up the oven that like starts the the heating yeah. process. But that's what's going to happen next. Yes. Oh man, I feel terrible that you get screwed over by those guys. I used to I used to run their phones. Yep. For a while, I had this thing called Samsung White Glove Service. You remember that? I, I do. I yeah. Do. It was yeah. like for- You were dialed. It was like for celebrities, but apparently they made it down to like D-list celebrities in their celebrity list because I, uh, I got White Glove Service, which is pretty nice. But then I gave up on them altogether. Dude in New York, uh, I kind of want to talk about this. It's a good one. Oh, but let's first talk about this. So some guy in Idaho, Cal. Yes, sir. Do you know about this? You're talking poachers now? Yeah. It's, it, it, tell, tell everybody about this. Just because you got, you got Idaho. You used to live there. <laughs> uh, are you First Light fellas familiar with the big Idaho uh, poacher that just got busted here? Oh, they caught him. The, the guy that killed the mountain goat nanny with a bunch oh, of practice... Yeah practice bolts from a crossbow no but chase this is up in your old neck of the woods uh guy shot 
or sorry, I shouldn't say a guy, a, a suspect shot a mountain goat with, to me, it looks like a, like probably not a hunting style crossbow, but the bolts, which are the short little arrows that people fling out of crossbows, um, were, uh, stuck in this mountain goat, this nanny female mountain goat. And they're, they're not, uh, a hunting setup at all. They're, they're target bolts. So no, uh, made for targets, not for, uh, effectively and, and humanely you would call it killing something. And Idaho fishing game, it was, uh, forced to, uh, euthanize the nanny mountain goat. And they haven't caught the dude. They have not caught the person. So if you know someone, here, I'm going to figure out how to solve this. If you know someone with a crossbow, they like to call them, uh, like instead of having it, like if you're like crossbow enthusiasts, they like to have it be that there's horizontal bows and vertical bows. Mm -hmm. If you know, and that's a, if you know a vertical bow enthusiast, and you knew they had some practice bolts. And then one no, day no, no, you... no, horizontal. Horizontal bow enthusiast. Sorry. If you know a horizontal bow enthusiast who had some practice bolts, and then one day you noticed that he had three fewer practice bolts than he had previous, you might have a clue. Yeah, his practice bolts are yeah, like a yellow, yellow shiny gold he's color. Shake, he's shaking his boots Black. right now. Shaking his boots. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like Black Buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel 
So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Here's another one, Cal, I feel like you know about. I think this is an interesting one. A guy in New York. I feel bad for this guy, kind of. A guy in New York is barbecuing up a <laughs> barbecuing up a canine. And Apparently the some version of the police show up and and uh confiscate a hunk of his whole canine that he's grilling up to send it off to Cornell to find out if he is cooking, as he says, a coyote, or as neighbors suspect, a dog. It is illegal to cook a domestic dog. However, the state of New York says it it is legal to have an, at least have in your possession or do what you want with a coyote carcass, hide or pelt. You actually found this out that it is illegal to cook a domestic dog. Dude, I'll tell you. It falls under I'll tell the, you a hell of a uh, lot more I know about this than that. It falls me. under the uh, like domestic animal or um, animal abuse. I'm I'm mis- missing two, <laughs> mixing two abuses up there. Uh, yes, animal abuse. Now, when I here's something that happened, I thought that that that, that uh, I'll share. A million years ago, when I was writing a story for outside about animal the, cruelty, sorry, that's what the word I was going for. Now, animal cruelty. Yes. A million years ago, when I was writing a story for outside about the consumption of dogs in Vietnam, I had a line in my in the draft of my article that I submitted where I had some line like to the effect of, uh, you know, everybody knows it's illegal to eat a dog in America. And the fact checker kept pointing out that, uh, where are you show me that it's illegal to eat a dog in America. And I'm like, Oh, I just assumed, I don't know. I didn't actually find that somewhere. I was just young and stupid. 
at the time and younger, stupider. And then once I had to actually look into it, it's, it's, it's illegal in California. It's illegal in New York. Other oh. than that, there's no, there's not a prohibition on eating your dog. Oh. You could eat your dog right now. The, the, the area it falls into is like, is consuming a dog necessarily rolled into animal cruelty. But like if your own dog, whatever, got, if you ran over your own dog in your driveway, there's nothing saying you can't consume that dog. Yeah. And there's probably, I don't think there's any rule against euthanizing your own dog. No. Right. So. No. Um, what this, what, one of the things that's brought up is, was like, why is it, uh, why is it not possible to buy dog meat in America? And when I was doing working on this article and, and I wound up talking to some USDA inspectors and stuff, and it was like, you're just never going to get a, um, you're just not going to get an inspected facility. You're not going to get like the USDA, you, you, you're not going to get them to come inspect um, and certify that product. Right. So that would be what would block someone from, trafficking and dog flesh but it wouldn't be any kind of in, in most states it wouldn't be kind of any kind of other prohibition like there's nothing that says you can't do it it's just you no one's ever gotten set up to do it so this dude he says he's have you seen there's no pictures of i speak of i'd like to have this guy on the show um have you seen any pictures they they searched around to see if anyone had reported a dog missing that fit the sort of stature and girth of this dog, which I thought was great, and they they couldn't turn up any reports of of uh, people searching for a a canine in the area that that fit this general uh, make and model, if you will. Yeah, so like he was kind of cooked, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I'd like I, I I I thought this was something interesting to bring up because the coyote, the only coyote I ate was. Um, uh, was while we were hunting coos deer in Mexico, and you guys just got back from hunting coos deer in Mexico. How's that for a transition? That was that was good. Well, I'll tell you one thing about that transition is it's premature <laughs> because because <laughs> I'm not ready yet. So um, I couldn't figure uh, out if the guy got his meat back or if or the how meat, much did they confiscate? How him. much they confiscated? To me, I, I the couple articles I read it sounded to me like they they took the entire. Oh, they took his whole thing. Meal, which would make sense. How how does that make? You can't do that to somebody. Well, yeah. Imagine somebody comes up and takes the rack of ribs off your barbecue, and they're like, "Listen, these may or may not be a person." So we'll get back to you. I wouldn't be real happy about that. No, I like how the article points out. Like now, and then a journalist will include like a detail that is a like a telling detail. And you could tell that they it's very important to the person covering this that it was a makeshift grill. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Too. You know I mean? It's like like they're they're sort of they're 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 saying something there. I think the journalist <laughs> and this fellow's neighbors are probably on the same page. They're like, there's more than likely nothing going on here. But for some reason, I don't like this person. Yeah. And I'll note that it seemed to me to be a makeshift grill. Not like a super nice grill. Mm-hmm. Weird dude cooking some weird ass meat. 
some makeshift grill. It really paints a picture. It's like incriminating. Yeah. And he's using the hashtag caught, not bought. <laughs> and what was the other one, Yanni? The made it, not built, not bought, built, not bought. Caught, not bought. <laughs> he's doing a little caught, not bought and built, not bought at the same time. The neighbors couldn't stand it. <laughs> Like, Who does he think he is? <laughs> he's he's mixing up all his hashtags. Man, there's a hashtag I want to get into, Cal. I don't know if we feel like getting into it right now. You tell me if we wait or not. There's one more thing I want to talk about, big giant colons. Oh. Ugh. Mega colons. And colon. that guy that got his uh, testicle torn out of his scrotum. We'll talk about that in another one. I didn't hear that one. Uh, it has to do with, yeah. So, horse riding story. But I do want to quick touch on this colon deal. Um, And do we want to talk about the hashtag that was brought up in conversation around who the woman that President, now President Biden, has put forth as his nominee for the Interior Secretary? Oh, the not specifically about her, but about the movement that could the, be a big talking point. Yeah. Do we want to get into that an hour later? I, I think it's a, it's a fascinating topic. Um, we may as well kick it off. It's not going to be the last time we hear about no, it. No, because so. what we should do is do it for real later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, tell tell everybody. Just just the vagaries? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, our... It's an appointed position. She hasn't been um, confirmed Confirmed yet. Thank you. Uh, Deb Holland, uh, who's out of New Mexico. She's from a Pueblo in New Mexico. Yeah. yeah uh, on her bio, it says 35th generation New Mexican, which I think is, is cooler than hell. Um, hard to calculate. Uh, hard to calculate. <laughs> For sure, but it you yeah. know around Montana, it's like you you open conversations Dude, I'm like a that. Second generation, oh My yeah, God. fifth generation, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I I was just telling somebody, you know, it's like, oh yeah, nephew for Christmas. My sister Courtney popped out a or a niece for Christmas, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, Comment. your sister popped out my niece, your niece, yes, okay. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, oh, that's, you know, like, but you thought it was your nephew. <laughs> well, the nephew was present. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, but you know, it's like fifth or sixth generation. In, in when she was pregnant, was she like, I, I'm, I'm pregnant with, uh, Cal's niece. They held off on identifying the sex. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. They did it old fashioned. Yeah. Uh, wow. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll be the first to tell everyone that, uh, my sister does a very, very consistent and good job of of working the Catholic guilt on roping me in more firmly into family affairs. Mm-hmm. And I keep saying, well, wait till they get older and I'll give them a bunch of stuff and we'll be able to go do things, which I think is And fair. she thinks you should get started earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know really how to do that. We're not. I, no, I, 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 I was <laughs> with die, you one yeah. time when we took a... a Little nephew of yours fishing? Yeah, so that's Jay, that's Courtney's son, my nephew. Yeah, and so that sister had a uh, uh, a, a daughter. Yeah, you were like I thought you were like full fledged uncling. Yeah, thank you. It was years ago. 
Yeah. Have you seen them since? It's intermittent. Uh, yes, I have. I have. I have. <laughs> um, moving on. Uh, so anyway, um, are you going to tell us what we the hashtag is? Land back, which is the uh, land back movement, right? And there's conversations, and this has been going we, on. We got to be clear about, right? Did it go on? If you don't clarify the point, I'll make sure to clarify the point. The, the point is, it's give the land back to the natives. Yeah. Which would be the inhabitants of, uh, in our case, North America, within the, the United States, prior to European, uh, European setting foot on the soil and, and spreading disease and claiming big chunks of other people's property for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating subject. It is a quagmire. Um, unless you think that all, uh, Native Americans were on the same, same team, same page, and, uh, they all know who. Oh, like identifying who occupied what at what time. What at what time. Yeah, because later, like, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the Sioux had displaced a group from the Black Hills, and presumably they had displaced another group from the Black Hills. And, oh, yeah, and, you know. and. Yeah, just like the mixing of races, religions, and and who's leading who. I, I was just reading a great book that old Martin Heinrich told me to look up, which was Lost City of the Monkey God. Mm-hmm. And they, in a relatively small area, the the empires that rose and fell in a, in a pretty small area in a pretty small amount of time. Yeah, when we were caribou hunting, he told me about that book. Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty neat. Um, so yeah, land back would would be the hashtag, and and it's it's a really interesting one, and um, it's it's going to be coming up a lot. I, I my guess is it's going to be coming up a lot. And so. Presumably, the land back is not coming from the private sector. Presumably, it would come from public land. It would be coming from public land. Yeah, or that's so, the pieces that are most like obvious. The most obvious target would be that you would do public land. Right, so it'd be federally managed lands. Yeah, I was be... yeah I was swapping emails with Cal about this yesterday, and I pointed out that well, one Cal pointed out that it's very awkward conversations. Yeah, it's hard for a bunch of white dudes to sit and act like we got a handle on covering it from all angles. But I was thinking that, and I put this to Cal. Oh, oh the thing I wanted to clarify before I even say my thing is that it's presumptuous. It's like a it, it's it's like if Biden's interior nominee um is uh what's the word to use would be a, like come from an indigenous confirmed, culture sorry. Confirmed, confirmed, yeah. yeah if she's confirmed um it would be the first Native American interior secretary uh and it's known that she has um voiced this perspective or is sympathetic to this perspective in the lead up to this, this appointment and confirmation, she hasn't said, my thing is going to be land back. It's just like articles I've read about her to try to get a sense of, um, as soon as the appointment came out, like I was very much rooting for Martin Heinrich. That'd be like the, in my mind, the dream that'd make this all worthwhile. The dream interior secretary in my view, because, uh, I like where he's at environmentally and he's like very friendly to hunting and fishing. When that didn't happen, I was like, well, who's this person? Um, 
I wasn't that familiar with her. And I remember people like, like journalists speculating on what might be her priorities. And the two of them that were, that I read about were both alarming to me would be, uh, land back. So taking public land and handing it to sovereign groups and that someone was speculating that moving more public lands over into renewable energy production. So wind and solar moving away from not that I'm like, not that I'm excited about, uh, drawn fossil fuels from public land, but, um, definitely not excited about turning them all into wind farms. Yep. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, but there's no indication from her what, like, you know, there's no indication from her that that is going to be her priority. It's just speculation. But I think that it's going to put, I was saying this to Cal, that if the, if the land back movement is that it'd be like, oh, no, the obvious thing that you would give back would be to give federally managed public land. So lands that belong to all Americans, regardless of race, creed, religion, whatever, like they're all of ours. We all have a say in them that you would hand them to groups that are, are sovereign nations, to tribes that are sovereign nations not subject to all federal things is going to put organizations, public land protection organizations like BHA in a very weird position. Yes. Uh, potentially, right? How, how do they not, how does how would it not become weird for them to be consistent? They'd have to say, no, we don't believe in the transfer of public lands to private groups. Yeah. I mean, correctly. You're right. So the sovereign nations, from what I see right now, and and to be very very clear, I've got a ton of education uh, to do on this, and and this is um, a great great way to kickstart it. And and uh, Deb Holland or Haland, 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 Haland. Uh, if you're listening or somebody in your uh, office is listening, we'd love to have you on and and get your informa- your uh, two cents on all this stuff. But um, yeah, you would, man. Uh, as a board member for BHA, I would be anti-transfer of public land or sale of public land to a sovereign nation or sovereign entity, uh, just like we have been. I don't, I don't know. I just don't see a situation where we couldn't be. I could see a possibility where we, you know, get to a point where we have much more input from many more groups on sacred sites, sites with, uh, you know, huge anthropology and, and archeological, uh, you know, importance and, and coming up with a better way to, you know, have access while protecting those areas, Mm -hmm. bringing more people to the table which yeah. is something that gets regurgitated all the time. Have more voices, have better conversations. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not something we need to do. But, but I, an outright know, transfer, like land back, begin with like land back to who? Yeah. I could see a way, it would kind of like, I don't know how I feel about it yet, right? In a, in a large measure, it would depend on scale. Uh you know, you, you ever like just? I'm just bringing up New Mexico because Halen's from New Mexico, like Bandelier National Monument. Okay, so it's like an ancient pueblo 
national monument site. Um, it's managed as a monument, right? It's a, it's geographically like defined to be sort of, you know, around this monument site. It's not this, it's not like hundreds of thousands of acres, but it's this site. I could see situations like that, like very specific, you know, I I could see where you could get a, a majority of Americans on board with these like very specific sites that had direct relevance to people that own them significance to people that own them. Like the site of, you know, wounded knee like you know, uh devil's tower whatever like like very specific spots that had religious significance and that you would hand over administration or whatever of these to to their prior you know arguably rightful owners yeah um, pompeius pillar would be a great example yeah right next door to and us, i could so. see that you would have one reception that that the public americans might might perceive that differently than say um Yosemite, uh, we're taking all of Yosemite National Park and, and, you know, giving it to its prior owner. Yeah, or all of Hudson's Bay. Yeah, or Or Manhattan. Manhattan, exactly. (laughs) We're going to go right to the start, right where it all started, was Manhattan. Yep. Or Plymouth Rock, and, you know, that state, that's not going to go. Right. But, uh, so, Pompeii's Pillar, great example, right? Like, right now... There's a, it, there's a cultural site, there's, um, you know, all sorts of infrastructure set up for education. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I went and walked around it over Christmas and Pheasants Forever has a bunch of ground in the monument. And I hunted my way with the dog to the no hunting sign, through my shot, through my shotgun over the shoulder. You know, broken. Eventually, there were some other folks around. I just didn't want to deal with anything. I was using an over and up, one of those Weatherby over and unders. Yeah. So I just broke the thing in three parts and threw it in my backpack. So you didn't look like you were up to no good. Right. And then just walk. You know, toured the the site, read all the signs that I wanted to see. My oh, grandpa's got a a rock over there. He used to do some education tours on medicine at Pompey's, and uh, and then snapped her back together and hunted my way back out to the track. That's so, great. And it's like, but do we have to give up any of that? Like, oh. You know what I mean? It's a very small site. Yeah. You know? Pompey's, Pompey, Pompeii. So, Sacagawea, 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 who was the, I don't know, I don't think they were married. The, yeah, the, the sort of wife of a guide that was hired by Lewis and Clark on the Lewis and Clark expedition. And the guide wound up being like a kind of, a, I think he's kind of worth his reputation was, he's pretty worthless, but his wife, Sacagawea, um, who was with child, right. She was, was, was her child born? Pompey was born along the Lewis Clark. Trail. Yeah. Charbonneau. Yeah. Was Charbonneau the, was the pops had a bad reputation, but his wife, who I think was snake. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Sacagawea wound up being like very valuable. What do you mean? She was snake? I think she was snake Indian, wasn't she? Oh. Or she had she was had been born with the snake and then had been uh had been born look it up real quick. She was born snake and had what? been kidnapped by another tribe and raised in another tribe 
but knew certain landmarks around her tribe in which she was born. She proved to be very valuable around some navigation and has been celebrated ever since as like the only, even though she wasn't formally a member. She, I don't even think she was getting paid. Like her old man was getting paid and he was, a, I guess, worthless. But so she's been honored ever since as being this like the only female member. And I think so like, like well, they had a slave with them too, York, who wasn't paid, but he was given his, he was gifted his freedom after the expedition. She died in obscurity, Sacagawea. But she has this kid. They named the kid Pompeii. And they got to a pillar, this prominent pillar along the Yellowstone, like a sandstone pillar that sits there. Clark goes up and carves his name, and that's all. And for a long time, had always been billed as the only visual marker of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Is where Clark. Had, he used to, I've went up and looked at it. You can still go up and look. His damn name from 1805 or 1806, whatever, is carved in that freaking rock. Very nice penmanship. And he named the rock Pompey's Pillar, Pompey's Pillar. And then later, interestingly, Custer. They had a shootout right below that. Or below that, below that spire. Seventy years later, hmm. you know, uh, Shoshone or Shoshone, uh, and from the uh, Lemhi zone. But who was she raised by? Well, so uh, member of the Lemhi band of the Shoshone tribe, she was kidnapped by the Hadatsa. And then sold to Charbonneau. Oh, he bought her? So she's like a slave. Yeah. Think about all that, Phil. Do you know all this? Yeah, I, I, I knew most of it. I feel like most, if you were a wife, a Native American wife, I mean, you were pretty much a slave back then, right? To a white trapper? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't know, man. You ever watch Jeremiah Johnson? That was a movie. That, <laughs> I'm aware. That's probably one of the ones I slept through in, in, in middle school. I'm sure I'd love it now, Steve. I'm sorry if I offended you. All right, we're going to put the colon on hold. Cal, are you done with your little report about who? About, you're, you're, Cal's like totally engrossed now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get an, an overwhelming load of uh, emails in. Uh, as Steve said when we started this conversation by email yesterday, um, very aware that we're a bunch of white European men talking about this stuff and, um, very interested and very, uh, looking forward to seeing how these conversations evolve on the land back movement. Yeah. We just got to get the right people to talk about it with us. Yeah, exactly. Cause on one hand, I don't want to not talk about it, but on the other hand, you know, you don't want to be like, Oh, tell you what these people ought to think we're acknowledging it yeah. exists and we're acknowledging that we need more info yeah corinne will find us the right people to talk about it yes all right now old mexico now i missed out on the trip because i was uh afflicted with with covid c19 er which which i got lucky and it didn't do anything bad to me but um how was it man was it like the greatest thing in the world? That generally is the, the 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 hunting highlight of my year. I saw that you said that in an email to one of these fellows, and uh, did that didn't surprise you? Did it? Partially, I guess. 
I mean, I know that it's like I, I know I know that it's like top tier, but I didn't know that it was like the number one highlight. You like, thought it was trapping golf course muskrats with Seth? No, I knew that it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, that that's hard to top, but Mexico's pretty cool too. Yeah, man, it's a. Uh, you know, it's funny. Somebody in the group, I think Matt D said to Matt me, D. he said, "This is my first international hunt," and uh, I don't ever really look at it that no, way. No, because you can look into America. Yeah, but like half the stuff you see is in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're so close to the border that you can see the the, the border blimps. Um, but uh, it, it does put it in perspective. It is an international hunt, and yeah, it, no, no, it, no, it, you can't you can't deny it. No, and it, it's it's uh, it makes it all that much more. Special. Yeah. But the fact that you drive over and then it's only like 45 minutes, I don't know what the hell it is. Mm -hmm. Would you consider any less or more international if you drove into British Columbia and went stone sheep hunting? I would consider it equally un-international for some reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't know why. It's a North American hunt. Like when I hear like an international, I don't know. It's just, it's just stupid. I don't know. I mean, like my, I don't know why. I, I, that's very much, that's a, that's another country. Inter, but yeah, they're intercontinental hunts. Yeah, I'm th I'm mixing up intercontinental with international. It, I think that's the probably the the root of a lot of issues at customs for both Canada and Mexico with American uh, hunters traveling. Is there's part of your brain that just says, "Listen, your job's just semantics." Yeah, like you're 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 right next door. Yeah, Come I on. can throw a rock over the border. Let's so. not act like I'm far away from my house. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <laughs> I live right up that way. Uh, um, and he kind of when we started going down to to Sonora years ago, uh, there was always a little tension because I think we started going like after things went. After the border got where it started to develop a reputation, mm -hmm. uh, the we were dismantling cartels. It was leading to a lot of strife. Beheadings. Yeah, it was leading to a lot of turf wars. Violence was kind of like boiling over. Um, and it was like a little unnerving. Yeah. Even though, I don't know how many times we've been down there, nothing has ever happened, ever. Yeah, not even kind of. Did you, uh, were you guys a little uh, edgy driving down and being around? No, and, and, you know, because I'm probably coming on, you know, trip number 10 down there, I'm, you know, every time you go, it, you get more and more comfortable. So, But I think that's a good question for the guys from First Light, if, if they felt that edginess at all. Well, two of the dudes from First Light, I, I think, spent a lot of time in Mexico. Yeah, we... I've driven uh, down to the tip of Baja and back a couple times, and spent a spent a bunch of time down there. So, um, first time taking firearms across, which was a little different, but uh, wasn't it was it was pretty mellow for the most part. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's, I thought the checking the firearms in was kind of the most interesting part of it, but otherwise, I don't think I think you get down there and you realize it's it's people too. You know, like no one's looking to give you a hard time really per se I, I i felt pretty safe the whole time duke you too no no fear of safety whatsoever or lack of safety yeah i mean it it i do feel like it went pretty smooth um that was the first time i'd ever personally traveled anywhere with a with a firearm and so um i mean you guys helped 
helped me. I, I think it went pretty dang smooth, yeah. But when you got across the border, you weren't like all of a sudden worried about uh, getting abducted by a drug cartel and possi- possibly held for ransom. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. It must just be different times because that was definitely in our heads when we went for the first oh, time. Oh, well, my, yeah, ago. my first time I thought about it, but I thought about it a lot. But um, I mean, this time, this trip was my second time down there and it was like, not anything near the first time. The one time that I got most nervous was just when we were staying in a place along the highway or along like a very busy road. And I don't know why, but like nothing happened. Nothing happened. There was one kid that just had a shady personality about him and he might've been the nicest, like best, you know, law abiding kid citizen ever. No. But he had he had a a tinge of shadiness. Yeah. But if he was hanging out with you guys on on a shoot for whatever reason on some property in the U.S., you'd from what you guys described to me, you probably would have been like, "Man, I don't like leaving my stuff around that kid." Oh, absolutely. I don't give a yeah. shit where he lived. And I was pissed because Steve made to sort of like uh, not that it was necessary or even inferred, but to uh, sort of like make everything just completely good steve made me give my pocket knife to the guy because he really wanted a knife <laughs> seems like if we don't give him your knife yanni then uh, who knows what's gonna happen <laughs> give him your knife no nah, no nah, i just got mine <laughs> i want to tell you about an american-made success story and black buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches black buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use black buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip but they understand the convenience and discretion modern day consumers are looking for black buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed. You can put stuff on the top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel 
So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Yanni, what's a burrito buck? Burrito buck. Um, (laughs) That's the buck that we killed on the last morning of the hunt. Um, So we're kind of going backwards here, starting with the last day. I'm just just looking at what you wrote down. Yeah, but we we can start there. What happened to us, too, is that we got a... um, it's really kind of odd. The story starts earlier. No, the day before. I'm on the radio. We use radios there to communicate both just, you know, between hunting parties and then to also during the hunt to help us refine deer that we've spotted from long distances. Well, I'm on the radio with somebody and some other dude chimes in. And it was sometimes because I didn't know the guys from First Light you know, that well, and I didn't know their voices. Barking. I'm like, who is this? You know? Now, do you know who you're talking to? This is Giannis. I'm trying to talk to Seth, not Matt D. So identify yourself. This guy's like, oh, man, sorry. We're just on the same channel. We were down in Escanada, and we're just heading back to the border. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, you guys were coos deer hunting? Yeah. He goes, I'm like, how'd you guys do? He goes, oh, man, dad killed 115, then we killed 295s. I'm like, oh, man. And when he said that, I'm like, does he think he knows me? Because he just, like, said dad. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, like, I'm supposed to know who his dad is, you know? So they they had a decent hunt. I think they went three for four. But uh, he asked me how long we're hunting. I said through Sunday. Or no, through Saturday, going back on Sunday. He goes, oh, well, did you hear the military is closed on Sunday? And to, to, for everybody listening, you have to check your guns in when you go to Mexico with the police and the, the military, the federales. And, and you then, check and them with then, the U.S. dudes. Yeah. And then leaving, you go through the same process and you get a signature or a stamp on this gun permit on the way out that says you are now leaving with the same weapon. And uh, if you don't have that signature and stamp, you, you legally can't cross the border. And uh, so I'm like, oh. You know, we're supposed to leave that day, so we got to change plans. So 
Uh, we figured out that we had to leave a day early. Luckily, the military was going to still be open until 5 on Saturday, so we could hunt the morning. So we get that all figured out, but we are now... And you found this out for some dudes driving on the highway that you picked up on your radio. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then, then I, I confirmed... That's valuable. <laughs> confirmed with our fixer, uh, Selsa. And uh, confirmed with her. And uh, so, yes, we, we yeah, it, it was. It was very... Uh, um, What's the word? Not coincidental, but fortuitous. Fortuitous. So, uh, <clears throat> so when he said, "Dad, this is a guy you know?" No, I, I, <laughs> it, it just like it some was, people do that. It, yeah, it, it was yeah. it was moving along pretty quick, and you know we had hunting to do, and and so, anyways, we're feeling the pressure now. We're, we were cut by a half a day of hunting, you know, at, at least, you yeah. know, maybe a little bit more. So, anyways, last morning, everybody's hunting hard. Cal has a tag unfilled, and so does Chase. And uh, so we split the groups up evenly. Uh, Chase and Seth and I go to a spot where uh, we had seen some deer maybe the day before. And yeah. uh, Seth had seen a little rut party where usually you see like a couple does or a doe getting chased around by two or three bucks. And we we're going to go to that same area and see if, you know, maybe a branch antlered buck had shown up in that area. Can I can I interject real quick? Yeah, I feel like those rut parties move. They certainly can. Yeah, I wherever, feel like a lot of times there's a rut party, goes. and then you go there the next day, and the rut party is elsewhere, man. Right. I used to think like, oh, I'll go there tomorrow, no, but they just pop over the hill, or sure. Anyways, so you go there back was, to the there rut was party. also a lot of does there. Got you. Yeah, I mean, we had like what five, six, seven does in this one little basin yeah. and, um, or I mean, literally one hillside. Hold, and they were holding tight. Yeah. 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 Seth had seen a couple small bucks. He had heard another very deep guttural Ooh, grunt. That's interesting in down area. there. You hear that down there, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's cool. crazy how much you hear the grunts. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Anyways, we pop up on the knob, Seth's looking that direction, and, and because we're near another zone that we like to hunt, I just go to the other side of the knob, maybe 75 yards away, and just figure we'll glass all directions, and, and first buck that pops up, you know, Chase is going to go after. And uh, it didn't take, but, you know, it was such a pretty morning. The layers were so nice in the distance of the mountains and the sunrise. I actually took two minutes to snap some uh, iPhone pictures. And, uh, it was just so nice. And mm. then I put my binoculars up and, and thought to myself, look where you've been seeing the most deer. And I looked on that one hillside and it didn't take like a half a sweep. And I'm like, Oh, there's a buck. Call everybody over. And Chase's like, looks good to me. Let's go. So we bail <laughs> off the hill and, um, we make it like a hundred yards from Seth. Seth's going to stay back and, and, uh, work and keep an eye on the buck. And uh, we make about 100 yards down the hill, and we spook another buck. I'm like, there's a buck. Get ready. And uh, I look back at Chase, and he's, like, doing the, like, thing where, like, you're grabbing at your shoulder, where, like, you're, you're looking for where your rifle strap is, oh, yeah. your sling, and then you're like, but yeah, it's not there. It's not there. <laughs> so he hustles back up the hill, goes to get my rifle, and uh, he had to borrow my rifle. Oh, yeah, because we were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, rifle shortage. Yeah, we, yeah. It was hard to go kill him without a rifle. In my defense, I hadn't carried a rifle the first few days, so I got pretty comfortable <laughs> with that program. And um, <laughs> glad that buck popped up. It could have been a real problem. Yeah, we might have made it a long ways down that hill and before yeah. he, he remembered. So we make it down there. Um, we get in. We're sort of creeping up on this like low bench that's underneath the hillside the buck's on. 
And, uh, you know, Seth's kind of telling me less where he's seeing the buck. I can see this little draw that Seth's describing for me. We're three to 400 yards away. And I'm, I'm feeling very confident. It's like, we found a buck, we made the stock and we refined him. And now we're within shooting range. Right. So it's like, you're like still a little anxious, but you're like feeling that, like yeah, you're yeah. starting to get like those visions of grandeur. I like to call them where you're like, you're like imagining taking the grip and you're like, photo this just already. might work out. Yeah. Yeah. We might have another buck dead here shortly. And, um, at that time, I think he's like 350-ish, and we've I, I spot him, and he's in this little shade patch, and he's like wide out in the open, and we've got like a nice shooting lane to him, and I'm like, okay, I got him. Chase's like, okay, cool. I'm going to take my time and get super comfortable, you know, make the shot. I'm like, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Like, you know, let's not rush this. Like, we've got a big open hillside ahead of us. Like, we're going to get a shot. Well, sure enough, that bugger, like, right as Chase is getting settled in, walks behind a tree. And like an hour goes by and this, like he just feeds in a spot where Seth's like probably sitting up there thinking like, why are they not shooting? But oh, like it's from, the most frustrating thing. <laughs> from our angle, we couldn't see a deer, like nothing. Seth's like, yeah, he's just right there, you know, looks broadside to me. <laughs> and we just had like a- absolutely nothing. So we just like stay on him, stay on him. Seth and I are talking about, you know, what trees we're looking at to make sure that like when he pops out, we'll be in the general vicinity. Um, you know, Chase has the gun dialed to the proper uh, range. Well, the buck, like, hooks up with a doe, or she was probably there the whole time, but we finally see the doe, and she starts moving up the hill. He's following her, and he proceeds to move up the hill and never stop in an opening and just disappears out of our lives. Gone. Goes up, Gone. And, up, up and over the top. Up and over the top. That takes maybe five to ten minutes as he makes this move. Feeds a little bit, but basically follows her up and over the top to go to the shady side of the hill. Out of your lives. Yeah, out of our lives, man. So we went from feeling pretty dang good about the situation to the, the lowest of low. Because it's the last morning. Now it's like 9 a.m. We made like a call that the hard out was going to be 10 and because we had to go and pack and make it to the military, you know, by five. And uh, we're just bombed, man. You know, just like you just it's the gut punch. You know, everybody's been there. And you like you like, like I said, you could see the grip and grin. And now it starts to fade. Now you you're your just life. like, oh, man, I don't feel so good. But there's like a silver lining because. Everything happened that morning so quickly that we hadn't got our little burrito in. Now, you've been down there. You eat, like, sometimes you eat burritos for dinners, but most of the burritos go down as breakfast slash lunch burritos. Because every morning, Lupe builds you, or if there's a different cook there, but Lupe, we've had the last couple of years, we love her. She builds you, like, some version of a bean, potato, meat, bacon, maybe there's some eggs in there, some salsa, whatever, burrito, you know, with you. And no, this year, Lupe was packing some fatties. These things were, I think, <laughs> some of the times were like double the size of the normal burrito. Like filling up a, like a quart size uh, baggie, two of them, like stuffed, big burritos. Um, we've had at least two, sometimes three of these every single day. And we're on like day six now. So Chase and I are sitting there not feeling very good about ourselves. But I'm like, ah, you know what? We didn't have our burritos yet today. 
let's have a burrito and we'll just like keep an eyeball on this hill and you know maybe something will pop out there was a there was a doe there there was a buck i tell seth on the radio i'm like hey just keep watching the hill if we're gonna have a burrito Can you tell me uh roundabout where you are because yeah i'm in uh basically in the drainage that mark Kenyon killed yeah. his buck yeah but we're like up drainage upstream 800 yards yeah and and we're down on a bench and looking up at the big, know, kind of the yeah, bigger, yeah. farthest left yellow. That bench where we hillside. lost that buck that one time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before you move on, Yanni. Yeah. When that's the, a good hill. When the buck that you guys saw go up over the top, mm-hmm. he like, as I'm following him go up over the top, another buck appeared. He like kicked up another buck. Hmm. So there was all of a sudden two nice bucks on the hillside. Yeah, I left, he, he I, left up, staring, I left Seth staring. I gave him my 18 by 56s. Yep. Um, so Which Seth, are sweet. Seth's looking through those things. And you know where I messed up, man? I gave you my post, too. And then I was trying to get my binos on a tripod oh, yeah. at the bottom of the hill, and I didn't have that capability. And God, does that burn. Yeah. You've been used, used to staring at them through the, uh, you know, on a tripod, and then oh, all of a yeah, sudden you yeah. got to go into, like, some rinky-dink balancing on your head. Uh, on your tripod head, oh, it sucks. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Hey Chase, you uh you weigh in here anytime you you feel uh, it's necessary. But uh, so we're like, yeah, we'll have a burrito. So we're munching away on our burritos, kind of talking about how uh, we're getting sick of eating burritos. Was there any uh chopped up onion in that burrito? That one didn't have any chopped up onions. I don't think. Yeah. It was still a dang good burrito. Uh, a lot of us agree that, like with you and me, that after a week of eating Mexican food, as much as we love it, the first four days, five days, on that last day, you're kind of like you're like ready to switch diets. Yeah, you know? I get Cal, that. on the other hand, just says he could just keep eating. He just goes deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. I get that anywhere I go, anywhere I go. I dug out the, the my second burrito uh, of the day for for lunch. This is after. I'd showered and got ready to hit the road and do the march back across the border. And and I will admit that that burrito did not go down quite as... That one left a little something to be desired. Yeah. So you, you found the other side of it. Yeah, I did. The other side of your burrito, love. Uh-huh. So Chase and I are stuffing our faces, munching away, kind of having a conversation, you know, while bits of tortilla are spitting out of between our lips and uh we had seen a, a spike since the the big buck left over already on the hillside so we're like oh okay there might be some deer up there a few more bites of the burrito go down and chase looks up and he's like well there's a buck I'm like holy shit i look up there and get my binos on him and he just happened to be stopping a spot where he's like almost pretty much visible with the naked eyes so i put the binos on him real quick and, you know, with a mouthful of burrito, I'm like, shoot that buck. And, uh, which I, I said, shoot that buck. And, uh, you know, he gets down on his gun. The buck's like kind of in half, like I'm chasing the old scent of a doe move, you know, where like it doesn't look like he's going to be sticking around long, right? He's not just sitting there feeding. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. nose to the ground, traveling. And because we had just gone through the whole exercise of watching that other buck move across the hillside, 
every single marker or, or like visual marker on that hill, whether it was a big white snag with the black burnt gash on the front of it or the two white rocks together, the tall ponderosa that's sticking up over the horizon, all that stuff had just been recently talked about. So as this buck's now moving across the same landscape, it's very easy to communicate. Y- your whole vocabulary is square. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, remember the, where we lost the buck? Like, get your gun on the meadow below those rocks, dial your scope to, you know, whatever it was, 6.5, and, you know, get ready. The buck's going to be there in two seconds. And uh, <laughs> kind of the second funny punchline part of this story is that earlier when that other buck was going up the hill, I kept trying to, like, stop him in, in, in little openings and say, hey, or like that. And nothing was working, right? He was just following this dope. So this time the buck walks into this opening and I might've set a record for loudest. Cause I like, <laughs> I amplified it with my hands and just gave it a, you know, I might as well just yelled, Hey, yeah, which works totally. And that bugger just freezes up like a statue in the middle of that opening. And is like looking down the hill, you know, what was that? And, uh, again, we were ready because we had just gone through the same thing. So Chase already had like a nice rest set up and he was able just to get in right behind his backpack and he had the, you know, bipod on his gun and, uh, we had the range dialed and, uh, one shot and I saw the bullet hit and he ran roughly, I don't know, 40, 50 yards kind of downhill. One of those runs where his head's moving faster than his legs, his front legs can keep up, you know? And, uh, fell over dead and, uh, we're like, sweet, that worked out. We both looked down. We were kind of bummed out to see that both of us had sort of thrown, plopped our half eaten burritos. Like they could have landed on six other, five other sides, but they both landed with like the filling down into the oh, both of them. dirt. Yeah. And Man. so you kind of pick it up and look at it and it's just not as advertising it was as it once was. But, uh. Yeah, that's the story of uh, Chase's burrito buck. Uh, the the coosier hunt in my mind comes down to like finding them. Yes, uh, it's the fun part of it, right? Yeah. It's the challenging part. It's the part that you get good at. It's the part that frustrates you that you're not good at. It's like finding them. Did you uh, having a bunch of newbies down there? These three fellers hadn't done it before. Like, how would you sort of grade them? No oh, man, uh, top notch. So, some of the best. Um, as a matter of fact, like they a, blow Jay Scott away. <laughs> not quite that good, but a, a couple of his examples of that. The first day, Chase, he's got a, a pretty good Spanish vocabulary, so he and I rolled around in the vehicle with uh, one of the cowboys, the local ranch cowboys, to um, kind of go over some fence lines and, and make sure where we could and could not hunt and kind of talk about where we, you know, we were, he's been seeing deer and, um, we had a little time left over that first evening. And so we just stopped at kind of a rando spot to uh, glass a little bit. And, uh, Chase picked up a deer before I did like right then and there. And, um, then, uh, I was going to say, Chase spotted his own deer that he ended up killing the buck. Uh, so did Matt, right, Seth? Yep. Yeah, we were Yeah, we were Matt hunting. spotted his buck. Yeah, I was hunting with Seth and Matt, and, uh, you know, he picked up his own deer. So, yeah, man, I'd say overall the, the, they did a, uh amazing job as first-time Q's deer hunters. And then did you uh, – the weather was a lot different than what we've seen a fair bit in the past. 
I wouldn't say a lot. No. Um, Got hot. It was really good uh, the first two days where it was cold, deer on their feet most of the day, and th- and then it got hot. And I can't say that it got any hotter than it's gotten. Because I think in years in past, we've had lulls too. And you definitely realize that like cooler temps, cloudy days seem to have the deer on their feet more, make them easier to find. Um, if if like our killing success, you know, has any, uh, is an example of it. The first two days that were the coldest, we killed four bucks, and then we killed one buck the next four days of hunting um, that were hotter. So, um, yeah, but I wouldn't call it abnormal. Yeah. God, I was so jealous, man. Just freaking jealous. I was so jealous, I didn't know if I should, like, I kind of felt like just hoping you guys didn't get anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, and something bad did happen, traveling. <laughs> Like, not, like, bad, bad, but, like, pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I can see you wishing that on, like, Yanni and I, but not on <laughs> oh, first time. Yeah, no, when I was having a mind movie about it, it was more <laughs> that you guys, it was you guys. Or would I just hope that you had a great trip? Yeah, I, I think that if I we would have had a bad hunt, it wouldn't have um, bode well for you, because I think that you want to go back next year and you want to hear good things about that ranch and go back to that ranch and have and be able to think about it for a year that like there's we saw some big bucks that we didn't kill they're mm-hmm. going to be alive next year yeah but it could also be like this like let's say you went and it was no good mm-hmm. then it'd be like the year Steve couldn't go we weren't able to really pull it together <laughs> mm-hmm. might be how you viewed it right. Our big like, toe. Steve. I didn't realize to what degree he really made the hunt. You know, stuff the, like that. The gear conversations around the dinner table at night were definitely lackluster without your presence. Really? How much did you guys talk about how you wished I was there? Was that like a thing that would come up like at least hourly, a half, at least a half dozen times a day? So if there's twelve waking <laughs> hours in a day, I'd say you know. Every two hours. You'd be like, God, do I wish. Yeah. Wonder how Steve's doing. Hope that, that old guy. He hope... sure makes this trip. Yeah. We finally had to ban <laughs> ban the topic from conversation outright. <laughs> yeah, it was getting kind of weird, you know. Yeah. Uh Seth, you got your first coos deer? Yep. First coos deer buck. You got basically my like your buck. Seth was going down there as a as a photographer, but then all of a sudden he turned into a hunter at the last minute when I couldn't go. Yeah, which did you like sharing a gun? Oh, it was it was like the best experience ever. Because you to carry it. Cal carried the gun. <laughs> he ended up spotting the deer, and he was like, "Do you want to shoot that deer?" And I was like, "Yes." And he handed me his gun that he had been carrying. Um, we made like a little sneak on it to get in a position, and I shot Cross Canyon at two seventy two. It was like a magical sneak. Too, because we ranged. Put you right where you needed to be. From where we spotted the deer, and it was four something, and then a three and a half minute, five minute sneak was two seventy two. Yeah, like, I mean it was great. Not one of those aggravating sneaks where you do a lot of sneaking, and you're like, oh, four thirteen. Yeah, can't see it from here. Ah, four oh nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I shoot the buck. And the, we watch the buck die. And we sit there and talk about it for a little bit. And then Duke and I drop, uh, like, we drop off the hill 
and I hand the gun back to Cal and he continues to hunt. It's like so, having a, it's so like, like I, having a, like in the old days when you had a guy to carry your gun. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had his gun for like maybe 10 minutes. And this was an important deer too. It was first morning, first day. And I mean. Got it right over with, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just like, <laughs> get the ball rolling, you know? <laughs> it was great. That first one uh, on the ground. And then we hiked out of there, switched locations. The, so that was like right up the dozer cut outside of the ranch yep. where you could drive if you had vehicles capable of getting there. But we just hiked out of the ranch, um, which works great anyway. Other side of the creek or the? Other side of the yeah. creek, yeah. Um, and then topped off our water, drove uh, back up into the zone where I've gotten a couple bucks now. And Seth sp- found a great glassing knob uh, that we hadn't been to before. And, and Seth spotted a buck that Duke wanted to go after. And, and I'll give Duke a lot of credit here, too, because the it was a, you know, I mean, relocating after you move mm-hmm. is a lot of times easier said than done. And he took off down our mountain went across the the drainage, started going up the other side. And he was like, okay, yeah, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that worked out. Got that taken care of. But also like very good decision-making skills on, on old Buck Duke's part because he was like, that's a good buck. I'll shoot that one. And off to the races essentially, so. Great, man. Yeah. Yes. All right, so uh, real quick, what do you guys like? You guys like thumbs up, thumbs down on hunting Coosier? Did you guys meet Jay Scott? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He's a good dude. What? What's just? Uh, what you I guys? It was about as much fun as you can have. What's your guys? Uh, like uh, just one at a time. There, I know it's hard because you're remote. But what's your give your sort of high level impressions of the whole deal? Um, I thought, man, between the country and and doing it in Mexico, like the folks down there on that ranch, um, and the coos deer themselves, I thought it was about as much fun as you can have on a hunting trip. Honestly, I, I see why, um, guys try and do it every year. Loved it. Yeah. I would, I would echo chase. I think, uh, just echoing what he said. And I, I personally enjoyed the, the disconnectivity of the Hacienda and all that. You're kind of just only focused on the hunt and there's, there's not a lot of service or electricity or anything to really distract you. So I felt like it's kind of refreshing in a way to just focus purely on that. Yeah. Matt, Matt's speaking of the, uh, the lack of electricity and the lack of, cause there's cell signals and stuff. <laughs> well, the, the, no, the, if you remember the, uh, the house is, is set up on a solar system, but the solar system has been, um, down. I think we've been there three years and I think it's been broken three years and so, like one day, we had like an hour of uh, electricity after dark, and then the following six days, it was uh, it was just like you know living back in the day. Oh, really? Like yeah. fl- flashlights and flashlights, fl- flashlights and, candles. and fire. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Duke, did you end up uh, throwing a tape on the buck that you shot? You know, I haven't yet. I I plan on doing that here in the next couple of days, though. Just just out of curiosity. Um, but I, I have not yet. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> interesting. It'd be great to get uh, Matt's as well, mm-hmm. just to, because Matt's is a little whiter. Uh, just 
just helpful references. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Giannis's buck is a great, great buck. Like the, you know, just like the frame visually, everything is, is, uh, kind of like that next class. Oh yeah. No, it was badass, but he broke one of his antlers off. Yeah. And, oh, I, to me, I was like, God, oh, that's an awesome buck. That's an awesome buck. And then, uh, we met up with some of Jay Scott's guys on the U S side of the border. We had to drop some stuff off to him and they're like, boy, that would have been a good one. Just like, <laughs> oh, because it was because it was busted. Really referencing the busted portion, but it was like kind of dismissed. They're they're, fo- they're focused more on what's not there than what is there. Right. That yeah. that was the way I took it anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad you guys are back, man. I'm glad nothing too bad happened to you. Glad you got all all that action. That's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. Thanks. Oh, we'll, we'll try to go next year. We'll let you shoot first. Yes, yeah, that's a good idea. It's still a magical trip, man. Like it is a good one. Yeah, that's great. Real dry this year. Not yeah. much. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting th- uh, point to bring up. Success has been there in years past. Uh, so dry that the oaks there, I don't know exactly what brand of oaks they are, um, but it's a... Uh, Aren't they gambles? I don't think so. They're not lives or gambles. Either uh, way. Well, I, I think it is sure. a live oak. I oh, but that's a variety. I, I, I thought that live oak my... is like a group of oaks. Yeah, I'm a little in over my waders but on this one. When, when I just think of live oak, I just think of an oak that doesn't drop its leaves, you know, mm-hmm. that has literally, you know, yeah, it acts no, more like right. a... Yeah, I'm, being, um, I'm being a dumbass. I'm going to cut that part out. Coniferous. <laughs> it acts like a coniferous tree almost, like, right? It just has green leaves year round. And uh, cause I can't remember if the oaks at my in-laws on the coast of North Carolina. They call them live oaks. I can't remember if they drop them. Anywho, uh, probably 50% of the oaks on these hillsides were red and brown with dry, brittle leaves. From drought. Yeah. And interestingly, they weren't spending any time on the yellow, grassy hillsides like they like to do feeding. Like if Mm -hmm. you saw them there, Cal made a good point. It's just like they were just traveling across it. And, uh, we saw deer full on, like on their hind legs. Uh, Matt actually saw my buck just like on his hind legs feeding inside of a small oak, just picking acorns yep. off the oak. Um, and then the manzanita also, we realized, produces some sort of a berry or fruit that they like to eat because we saw quite a few deer like just in the manzanita head on the ground for five, 10 minutes at a time, just slurping up something at the base of those bushes. Great. I'm glad you guys added to the body of knowledge. Mm-hmm. 21 uh, species of oak occur in the Sonoran Desert region. Yeah, so that kind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but here is the thing that we would be pay- paying attention to this year is good water years. They don't need to drop any leaves. And yeah. they'll, they'll stay green. And poor water years, they'll shed their leaves. Got and, it. And so we oh. definitely saw way more evidence yeah. uh those leaves turning and dropping. So... All right, boys. All right, first light, guys. Thanks, man. I was bummed that you couldn't be up here. I didn't know you weren't here until I walked in here and you weren't here. I thought you were here. Yeah, wish wish we could have made it, but hell of a trip. Yeah, everybody's got to get themselves some vaccines and whatnot, and we'll we'll uh, get together and talk about it. All right, buddy. Uh, Cal, we'll continue to dig in on this. I want to cover more of this. Um, I want to talk about the land back deal. Yeah, me too. It, it'll be it'll be a good conversation. We didn't get to talk about that giant colon. <laughs> when we talk about it on an upcoming episode, 
what I'm going to look into as part of that conversation is, do you remember that like supposedly Elvis's colon was full of all kind of cheeseburgers and stuff? You know what I'm talking about? That was always a rumor that that I always heard was it was, but it was John Wayne too, wasn't it? Didn't he he was full of all kinds of cheeseburgers. I thought thought that he had a similar. 40 pounds of red meat or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Pack full of burgers. I didn't know that. I do know that um, you want to see a, this is my concluding thought. You want to see a freaking documentary. Have you watched five came back? That's the uh, five different directors. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a it it's, it's it. a documentary about five directors who were directors or became directors who served in World War II, and about the impacts of that on their careers. And then there's five contemporary directors that are kind of telling, like Spielberg, and are, are kind of telling the story of these individuals, and they're it, it's like heartbreaking, heartwarming. It's a phenomenal documentary it's about film war everything but in it it was pointed out you know uh john wayne did all those john ford movies john ford is one of the directors they cover okay they also cover the guy that did uh um frank coppa who did it's a wonderful life which tanked so bad it bankrupted the production company which is crazy yeah tanked tanked it's a wonderful life he lived to see it do what it did but uh John Ford, you know, made all those movies of John Wayne. John Ford was a veteran. John Wayne wasn't a veteran. And the movie talks about how they used to kind of like humiliate on set. All the veterans would kind of humiliate John Wayne. Flying leathernecks. Always acting like a... He always playing these roles where he's like a soldier. And a and, symbol for... Yeah, and he wasn't. And these dudes were. And they tease him because they, they say he didn't know how to salute right. Never learned how to salute right. I thought it was a, it's a good movie, man. All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you, fellas. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks again. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods. Head to MontanaCastingCo.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount.